if the U.S. government, the media, the legal system, and the church can't keep democracy alive. It's time for a state sale, a podcast on American democracy, because America is better than this. Welcome back to a state sale. We've been on a bit of a hiatus trying to bask in Biden's win, but of course our president won't let us. So I am Lori Lattimore Volkman. And I'm Brad Raley. Today we need to talk about how despite Joe Biden's massive win in the election for president, the current moron in office is doing everything he can to delegitimize the vote. And helping him to do this are two equally moronic and pathetic Republicans. Rudy Giuliani and Lindsey Graham. So, Brad, in the words of Jeff Tiedrich, which evil, incompetent fuck do we start with? <laughs> I, I I want to choose Rudy Giuliani because I, I I don't think I've ever seen anybody. I would say Lindsey Graham has gone down in everybody's estimation. I think probably because they overestimated him from the beginning. Um, <laughs> but Rudy Giuliani actually used to have a, a good reputation. I mean, his his work as a as a U.S. attorney before he was mayor. His work as mayor, which was not as good as, but as as everybody said, but still he was actually a reasonable human. You know, he was not right. um, to watch him turn into uh, this pathetic, conspiracy-minded, raving idiot in a parking lot between a dildo store and a and a crematorium, uh, and then go before the the first time he's been in court in years and have judges or a judge actually just sort of like. I mean, honestly, I think the judge wanted to say, what the fuck are you talking about? And, and, and where did you get your law degree? Right. And how much I mean, cocaine did you do before you came over here? Yeah, those eyes are not normal, dude. I mean, you need to stop sharing your stash with Don Jr. That's not good for you. Um, right. Yeah, I... I mean, on one hand, I'm I'm glad that he's uh, that Trump puts his faith in idiots like this. Um, right. That's always but, the conundrum, right? Like, it's yeah. good these people are idiots. <laughs> but to see Rudy go that, I mean, because I remember, you know, it was actually a joke on 30 Rock about the the Giuliani campaign for president being a, you know, just like an, it, it was just a, a weird thought. Right. But it was it was not crazy. I and mean, it was not, you know, it was just it was just bad. It just was in, inept. But now to see him as this raving, you know, Pants grabbing. That was a Borat. <laughs> I like. I'm glad you brought um, that up because I was. Um, you know, is is just bizarre. I'm like, I, I want to. I want somebody. And it, uh, clearly, one of the things that they share in common is that Rudy doesn't have anybody around him that will is willing to take him aside and say, "Dude, you yeah. now, everybody's crazy, Uncle. You you're like the the guy that." Everybody wants to, to, to say, no, we're not doing Thanksgiving this year. We're going to do it in five years and we'll text you the address. You know, but that, that's what they're doing. That, that's what they want to do with Rudy. And yet, you know, you would think that there's somebody say, hey, you you have a legacy or had a legacy. <laughs> I, I, and it's 
it's now to the point, did you see this? They're talking about his hair dye dripping down his face during his press conference, like his own staff was making fun of it and was caught on tape and it's on YouTube now. So he's just a sad, pathetic loser. He's turned into Creed from The Office. <laughs> okay, so since you're the, uh, the expert on all things South Carolina, what about the other idiot in this, in this mess? Well, I can tell you that when your hometown newspaper is wondering what's happened to you in a red state, <laughs> it's, it's gone downhill fast. This is the editorial in the Post and Courier today, which is entitled, What's Going On with Lindsey Graham? And they're essentially trying to figure out why he's gone to crazy town instead of trying to just like do what he's known for, which is, you know, going to whichever side has the power, which would make you think that, you know, he'd start trying to build some bridges with Biden or you know, start talking a little less crazy but instead, he's ready to just be the apologist for Trump and go down that go go down in history as Trump's right hand man. I, I guess. <laughs> do, do you have an ex? I mean, the, the the one of the things that is commonly kind of thrown out there is, is that they have something on him. Yeah, and, and I, clearly, yes. none of us actually believe that it's that he's gay. I think everybody knows that he is, and no one really cares. But do you think there's something? You think there's blackmail there? I think there could be. And I, I'll bet if I were, if I were to guess, I bet it has to do with Russia. I mean, I bet yeah. he and Trump are all in that together. And yeah. so that's. Yeah. Again, again, you have somebody, I mean, this is the thing I, I uh, was yelling at Marco Rubio on Twitter the other day, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and, and I used to tell our, our uh, Colorado Congressman, uh, uh, Corey Gardner uh, or, or his staff staffers to say, you know what, history is going to be looking at you and it's not going to be, it's not going to be good. Um, right. I don't understand the calculation of, especially now that, that Trump has lost the election. I guess it's, I mean, I guess it's trying to keep that base in line. I mean, I guess that's the only thing that actually makes sense, but they still, you know, at some point, but I don't know. I honestly, Lori, I have zero explanation for this. It, I mean, I guess Colton and, um, I mean, it is a cult. And I mean, that maybe that's the, the easiest explanation. I have no idea. It's dispiriting. It is. I mean, I had felt like Lindsey Graham was so far in these last couple months that there was no way he was going to turn around. I mean, I, I was confident of that, even despite his history of doing that. So yes. I'm not surprised by him. But to the lengths that he's really talking out about it is a little surprising. <laughs> Like, and to to defending and to you know pressuring on the the vote counts and pressuring Georgia and the, the Secretary of State. I mean, that's a, that's going farther than I would have expected. If if in fact all this fuck ups that they're doing ends up costing them in the recall, uh, or in the, excuse me, not in the recall in the uh, runoffs in Georgia. Um, and maybe not even both of them, but even if they get one of those, then, you know, it's, it's, it's a razor thin margin in the Senate that, that McConnell has to negotiate the whole time is, I mean, if Trump actually, and Lindsey Graham and other people fuck with that and they end up losing, is that, is that going to be enough or is there going to be any kind of pushback from Republicans who are going to say, no, this is ridiculous. I mean, any chance that that, well, 
I don't know, but here's what I will say. The true test of how far lost this Republican party is will be when Biden takes over. Mm. Are they going to continue in this mode of delegitimizing the presidency, talking of, you know, it, as a group, are they going to keep this up? This, tr you know, trying to make it like this was, you know, it was, it was a fraudulent election. He shouldn't be in power. And they're going to stay together as a block just to, to block any agenda from the Democrats. If, if they do that, if they continue the crazy after Trump is out of office and, and you know, he's, he will still be a factor in American politics, unfortunately, but he will no longer have any power, really. Are they going to keep doing this? Are they going to mm -hmm. keep choosing to... Are they going to keep choosing party over country? I mean, do they, do they care at all about democracy and government and rule of law and the Constitution for real, now that they don't have to be afraid of, you know, that idiot in the White House? Or are they going to continue this because they see that as their path to staying in power four years later? Mm. If they do that, that's yeah. what I say. Yeah, yeah. Lori just offered... Lori just offered a uh, year number one salute to uh, <laughs> to the Republicans. Twice so. even. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're going to talk about, were you serious about the polls? <laughs> you know, they're all talking about how they can't find the, the Trump voters, non-college educated white man or women too, I suppose. Um, and that th they thought they had done a better job of that so that their polls were reflecting Trump voters too. And then in the end, of course, it, they didn't. Isn't that, is, do I have that right? Is that well, I the, think so. I mean, they, they, I think the Washington Post had a piece on the fact that they said that the Republicans in general tend to be a little bit more hesitant to answer polling. And of course, cell phones have changed all of that so much that, you know, that, I mean, I don't answer. I mean, if I, I've got a, me either. you know, I don't know if that's the problem. Uh, and that, that's Lisa's supposition i mean on one hand the national polling seemed to have been fairly accurate i mean they're able to get enough people nationally right you know that that i mean you know biden's closing in on 80 million votes or something i mean it's you know it's kind of stunning in terms of that right. he's actually winning in terms of popular vote but they seem to really struggle in some of these battleground and like I said these trump trump heavy trump areas you know so I mean, on one hand, I mean, I look at it and I go, well, they actually did predict that Georgia was in play. So there's that, you know? Yeah, yeah, I definitely. And I think it like state by state is probably the way to look because like in Florida, they were off, right? right? So see, this is what I, I really think there's, I think it's even, you know, it's nefarious dealings by the Republican party. I mean, I have a feeling there's, there's plenty of underground Facebook crowd boys nonsense telling these guys to not participate in any of this stuff, to be or, the silent or to lie when they do. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like to, to do whatever they can to mess it up so that they, so that they are the silent majority. I mean, I think they're, they're also steeped in so much conspiracy theory. Yeah. I think, I really think that's part of it. And it probably sounds <laughs> far-fetched, but I, just, just watching how they've operated the last, well, the last several years, but certainly the, you know, this past year and the last few months, 
I don't doubt it at all. No, I mean, it, it, it certainly is not. Given what we've seen, that is completely plausible. Right. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, I have absolutely. no I mean, evidence of that. I just, I can totally see that being part of their tactic. Yeah. Honestly. But, you know, about Florida, and this is the part I think that's going to take, this is what I'm always reminded of, is that right after an election, there's all this kind of flurry of things, and the exit yeah. polling tends to always be inaccurate, you always. know, or, or misleading. Right. Not well, completely time, inaccurate, but With so not, much mail-in voting, right. exit polls were probably skewed really strongly Republican, right, I would think. I would Especially think. in some of those states. Right. So for one thing, we may not know, we really may not know right now how evangelicals actually voted because the early data was uh, essentially that they voted essentially the same as they did in 2016. But then right. we see these, you know, Troy post posted this story about erosion of, of white Catholics and white evangelicals like in Michigan, which, you know, went pretty big for Biden. So that's um, so I think it'll take some time to kind of understand it. But I'm thinking about, too, in Florida. I remember, and I kind of didn't want to read the stories because I didn't want to get too upset or frustrated, but there were people writing in like the Washington Post and others saying Democrats are missing the fact that they're losing the Latino vote in, in, in Florida. So they were talking about some of that stuff that turned out to be exactly right. So I don't know where they were getting their data from or what they were getting their right. information from. So that, that will be something I think to, you know, in a postmortem to kind of go back and, you know, right. think about. Right. But, all right. So right. we've talked about polls. I still hate them. I truly, I, I, I think they're, I, I think, I do think that in this last election, people were not lulled by them into not acting, you know, into, into not being active and out there getting, you know, trying to turn out the vote and trying to talk right. about it. I mean, I, I do think we, we learned that lesson pretty well. Um, but I think clearly the optimism from a lot of those polls, <laughs> we, we did not learn to be more skeptical of that, <laughs> especially well, on election day and, you and did. election election days. Yeah. <laughs> so when everyone I, was freaking out like and upset that they hadn't won Florida and Ohio, I was exactly like the Biden campaign. They told yeah. I, yeah. you know, they told the Pod Save America crew, we we never expected to get Florida. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. we didn't expect Ohio. So quit panicking. We feel good about Wisconsin and Michigan. Right. And so that tells me that their internal polling was pretty good. And so that's helpful. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, the New Yorker had a piece that I didn't read, again, for the same reason as the earlier. Um, <laughs> that <laughs> right. was, um, it was something about uh, Joe Biden's campaign preparing for the worst, like preparing to lose, essentially. And this was like a month out of the right. election. And I was like, what the hell? And I think, I think, I think there was very much, a, a, you know, an insight. I mean, I mean, I think, I think he ran I, a, a really phenomenal campaign. I mean, I have to say I'm yeah. very impressed with it. And I think as much as you and I wanted other people at the top of the ticket, as we've talked about, I'm, I'm not sure any of them would have been able to be successful in the way that Joe was. Um, in his ability right. to kind of bypass, um, not absorb some of the stupid barbs from Trump. And I mean, you know, there's there's a benefit to have been in politics for, you know, 150 years that you, you know, I mean, he's 
if anybody knows how to stay on message, which I honestly did not, I expected much more in the way of gaffes and, you know, kind of off the cuff stuff, but man, he has been as laser focused as any candidate I've ever seen. I honestly, I mean, even puts him up there against Obama, who I think was a fantastic candidate. Well, this situation, which unfolded, you know, from February or the end of February because of the pandemic made the campaign completely different. And had we not had that to deal with, I'm not sure Joe Biden would have emerged as the best candidate the way he did. But it just turned out that in the middle of a a national crisis, an international crisis, somebody who is seen as more moderate and reserved, somebody who is seen as having decades of experience Mm -hmm. in government Mm -hmm. actually works to his advantage where it wouldn't have necessarily had he had, had we not had that crisis going on and he mm-hmm. has all these other young, exciting, progressive candidates com- to compare to, right. he would have seen, been seen as, you know, the old guy with old ideas. Right. Yeah. But we were in a, we were in a completely different situation, uncharted territory and those young progressives who are still exciting. And I think would have done marvelously anyway, still were at a disadvantage because they they didn't have any grounding experience like this. And Joe Biden actually did. I mean, he was yeah. in the White House when we had the last one and we had a guy who knew what the fuck he was doing and did something well to, to curb it. So I don't sure that always, that part of it always got conveyed, but people in the know knew. And I think that probably yeah. even helped Democrats really coalesce around Biden because we were all in this right. situation yeah. that was so unknown and so uncertain. The other part about this that is, if we take the pandemic out of it, though, that I, I keep coming back to is how well Biden has done with African-Americans, you yeah. know, that, that that some of the people that you and I liked didn't do as well. I mean, uh, Elizabeth and uh, and and Pete, you know, had, had their struggles on race. Um, and one of the things I think one of the things we take away from this um, <laughs> with humility I think is just how amazing the African American community was in getting out the vote in Detroit and in, and in um, Milwaukee and in, you know, in Atlanta and, you know, all these places where they were that component of it is, is to me, you know, really interesting. And of course, Stacey Abrams and her, her work, but you know, the, I mean, that, that to me is one of the curiosities I think of the democratic field even with people like Cory Booker, who I just, I think is brilliant. And I, I really would love to see him, you know, down the road yeah. and, and all, I mean, there, there were, you know, that, that Joe actually still pulled really well with African-Americans who I think maybe because of, you know, there's that thing. And we talked about it early on the, the one I saw on Twitter that said, for those people who think Joe, uh, Joe Biden is a racist, he may be kind of an old school comes from, uh, but, but we saw him actually serve underneath a black president and never once act like that was anything other than an honor and how huge that is, you know, how, yeah. how amazingly big that is. And I think we can't underestimate that. And then he chooses for his vice president, a, a woman and a woman of color. And, you know, I think that says a lot too. Um, yeah. You know, they and especially as as we know in the black community, who rules the roost but yeah. the women. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm sure that like just 
uh, I think both of those things probably really played to his advantage in terms of their, and not his advantage, but you know, their yeah. admiration yeah. for him, their continued admiration. And, I and went to, I did some, I did some work for Pete Buttigieg early on back mm -hmm. last fall. And um, I mean, a year ago fall. And I, part of my, the thing where, you know, I got a several houses. I went canvassing to really to hand out stuff about Pete, but I ended up talking a lot about just, you know, make sure you're registered and go vote. Um, right. And the different neighborhoods I went to were predominantly black communities. So I, you know, on any given day, I, I, you know, I'd say probably 70, 80% of the voters I, or the people I was talking to and handing stuff out to were, were black voters. And it was all registered Democrats that we were, you know, this was before the primary, right? So I would have to say if any of them, so, you know, a lot of them didn't know Pete for sure, um, especially at that point. And so they, you know, they, they were the ones I ended up speaking with rather than just leaving information at their door. You know, most, I think maybe one or two even had heard his name and they were always very, you know, gracious about, oh, I'll, I'll read this. Thank you. Right. And then if I, if I got into conversation or if they wanted to say, you know, because a lot of them would, they'd be like, I'll, I'll pay attention, but I'm, you know, I'm pretty set on so-and-so. It was almost always Joe Biden, you know, and this is South Carolina and that's where he did very well with um, black voters by and large. And, and I think he's always, he, I mean, when Obama was president, he's always been very well liked here. He's, it, it's partly his interaction with them, but it's, you know, he's, He's a known entity that mm -hmm. they do know how he has worked with black leaders, black communities, you know, not just Obama, but previously. Right. And that's right. part of it. You know, this, when you're not sure how these other white candidates, even if they say all the right things, you don't really know. Partly just the optics of Joe Biden working with Obama, but I think, and, and not just the optics of that, but actually yeah. doing it. And yeah. But, but more than that, just the way he, you know, he has a, a track record of coming and talking and, and being around here. And But it seems like that Biden really has made some, he's, he's progressed on race, on diversity, is very much kind of picking up some of those threads without being able to, or without being pulled into the, some of the traps. Um, yeah. And I want to ask you about that, by the way. Um, because I got into an argument with somebody on Facebook, which I know is shocking for me. I know what I know. It's, <laughs> it was it just never happens. And I'm so <laughs> but it was it was about and this is this is one of the threads that's come out is people looking at overall long term uh, polling data throughout the campaign and seeing a blip, essentially, or a fairly strong kind of blip downward for Democrats and for Biden when the whole defund the police thing came out. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you've heard Bill Maher, who drives me up the wall, a smart guy, right. but also yeah. pompous as hell. Um, yeah. You know, was, I think, connecting that and bashing Democrats for, he said, where's the blue wave? And, you know, in a year of racism, you lost on race. And and um, I, I think there's some merit there. And I'm kind of curious your thoughts on that, because, again, back to Joe, Joe was able to sidestep that pretty effectively by just saying he didn't support the idea of defunding the police, even though I suspect if we drill into his 
approach to policing, we could probably get him to talk about redistributing funds to other agencies, which is what defunding the police is. I mean, that's, you know, that's. I mean, I think that's the biggest issue is Democrats historically cannot figure out how to define their messages in a way that people can understand what they really mean, not whatever is hijacked by the Republican Party generally. But but I think that police was really not what any of them were talking about. Right. But I mean, isn't isn't that essentially I mean, it's it's almost a design flaw that is built in. It's it's feature, not bug in, in IT terms, because Democrats are liberals are interested in talking about complex issues that cannot easily be distilled into a nice little T-shirt saying. Right. Right. Except but they could maybe it's a matter of trying to think a little more about how it's going to be spun by the other side but or to quickly divert it you know i mean you can't you don't know how they're gonna you can't probably imagine all the ways they're gonna talk about this when you start talking about police but you say defund police in the midst of police brutality and it seems okay right but then you have to think about when it's just said over and over you are dealing with a concept that to a lot of people sound unnecessary because of course I want to support cops and law enforcement and right. you know, like that's a good thing. And that's, I think we talked about this. I listened to a strategist mention, you know, this is, this is why it's really difficult because this is usually done at the local level, right? The state level. And you know, you, you can't try to run a city council election or campaign and say, we want to defund the police because you're like nobody is into that. So you have to be because you you want police, you know, you want that kind of that that kind of law and order. You just don't want brutality and and beatings and and abuse. Right. But you can't say defund the police to get rid of beatings, abuse and (laughs) brutality. So so you so you have to think a little more or as soon as it starts to get, you know, twisted by the other side change your messaging immediately. And I, and, and, yeah. and you can do that. I mean, the Republicans do this all the time. They get everybody together somehow through their, you know, trickle down through all your different agencies, starting from the, you know, the national party to the state parties, to your lawmakers and whatever. Clan meetings. Clan meetings, but you change it to demilitarize the police. That's not, and we've talked about that. I mean, that's not quite as sexy, but it's not, you know, it's not that hard to make that yeah. one <laughs> case, right? Um, yeah, that's. Because- a, I mean, that's an interesting point. I mean, par- partly, by the way, I want to just add in here that one of my friends on Facebook chimed in with me to point out that actually the defund and abolish the police came from anti-racist black activists who, right. who they themselves, I mean, the BLM movement, um, which I am a supporter of, I know you are too, but they are not loyal to the Democratic Party. Um, right. And in fact, are very distrusting of the Democratic Party. And so some and again, of this for some good reasons. <laughs> right. And so some of this was this was a message that was that was actually crafted or or angry, angrily shouted. That was not by politicians in a back. It wasn't focus group, I guess, is what I'm saying. Right. And then you had Democrats who were trying to be supportive of the, of the black lives. Movement. And I, this is where I, I really credit Joe for actually being effective there in terms of 
not embracing the defund part, but also trying very much to to express uh, concern for the uh, Black Lives uh, Matter movement. But I'm I, I'm again struck by the fact that you know that I mean because I I kept pointing out to people. You know, people who kept saying defund the police is a bad phrase. I get it. I mean, I absolutely understand it. It's it's the worst possible uh, choice in terms of trying to sell and pitch it to an audience who doesn't follow this closely and is probably leans law and order. But when you say reform the police, we've been doing that forever. I mean, we've been doing that to the point of that we have had this summer, I'm sure more than one. But we've had multiple instances of cops who have gone through racial sensitivity training and were wearing body cams, two things that we were told in terms of police reform that were going to help us, you know, choking and shooting people on their fucking body cam. I mean, they didn't even give a shit. I mean, they just absolutely. And so you're like, for for those people wanting to say we need to, you know, talk about reform. Well, we've been talking about reform since the 1930s, at least uh, of of the police. So. I guess I'm, I'm just sympathetic to. Absolutely. No, I mean, I mean, I know you are too. Again, for good reason. I just, we, we, we have to like not get caught up in the semantics that the, the right always wins, Mm. you know, I mean, just for, for everything, make America great again. It's actually, when you break it down, it's terrible, but it's so easy and simple and it, it has a positive kind of tone to it. And it, you know, even I, it didn't work this time around, but in 2016, it, you know, it was way better than whatever, I forgot what Hillary's was, but you know, they've always been good at that. And there's no reason that they should be better at that than Democrats, even though we are far more complex in our thinking and far more inclusive and and broad, Yeah. but we can do that. It's just like the pro-life thing. We just let that get way out of hand. And here's, you know, one of the reasons possibly why Trump's attempt to make that stick with Joe Biden didn't work was because of Chris Wallace, because mm-hmm. he actually said, no, there's, there's actually nothing that says defund the police. Right. You know, and so when you, when you're not able to make just the simple little catchphrase work, then it, it you know, it definitely breaks down because, because they're on the wrong side of this, you know, <laughs> their, their view is, Hey, the beatings aren't that bad. It's okay. Right. So, uh, and their view is, well, as long as they're beating black people and brown people, don't worry about it. So, so that leads me to, I feel like actually when you messaged me asking about what we should talk about, I didn't know. And now I feel like I have all these questions, but this, this is, uh, so <laughs> I, I, I'm oddly more effective than I thought I was going to be. Uh, you're welcome. Um, the, uh, <laughs> um, and I've cursed less. I, I, yeah, I, I, that's I can't un- explain that's that at all. Yeah, I'll I'll work on that. We still have time. There's plenty of time. So, and this will probably be where the cursing will begin. Um, So the question, and I think on Pod Save America, they raised this. And and I agree with this. I mean, they essentially were saying, and I can't remember which one of them was saying that as long as we have this misinformation, disinformation media, this ability to just completely construct completely unreal things, we are going to be in a struggle. We're not, obviously we're going to, we're going to have to be dealing with in this all the way through the Biden administration, the midterm elections, 2024, all that stuff. That is still a, a, a an existential threat, you know, OAN and, and Breitbart and Newsmax and Fox. And of course, 
I mean, Rush isn't going to be with us for that much longer, but there'll be some shithead, you know, lying right. <laughs> step into his spot that there always have been. But I, I'm very curious, especially for somebody who knows so much more about the media than I do. I mean, how do you, how do you tackle that? I mean, how do you possibly deal with the fact we know and, and we had this conversation on Facebook after the election, you know, with our friend Gary Poe from Florida talking about the fact of all those uh, Latino voters in Florida, either being Cuban or Venezuelan, many of them who actually were very uh, conducive to, you know, Biden's a socialist and all this kind of stuff. That was that was clearly an issue. And some of that could have been addressed with, I think, much more focus from the Biden campaign. That may be one of the errors that they made. But thinking globally, moving forward, how do we possibly counter this when people um, like people I know, and I'm sure people you know, who have already filtered themselves into this little bubble where all they get is news from Franklin Graham or the American Family Association. I mean, how do you battle that kind of misinformation? I mean, <laughs> you just have to flood the infosphere with the truth. Hmm. I mean, it, I don't know. I mean, I do. I sometimes I think about it and like, it's massive. It's, it's a massive machine out there. It's not just like one media outlet, you know? And so yeah. it's, it really is a problem. And part of it is the mainstream media who needs to do better still needs to do better. Things like, and actually a lot of the crooked media guys, the Pod Save America guys have been talking about this the last few days. Trump's insane fascist bender that he's going on, you know, the last week and a half to, you know, undo this election, you know, is he's what one for 28 in court and that the one was one district court that then was overturned by an appeals court. So his, they know he has no proof to go to the courts and say this election, you know, is, is, has been, you know, was fraud, was fraudulent. He has no basis for that. Now, I don't know if you just saw this, he's actually trying to go at the, the state legislatures and make them certify the ballots and do some other completely illegal things. He's actually flying the Michigan lawmakers to the White House to talk to them. Did you see that? Did not so, see that. What the, what the media should be doing is ignoring him he mm. is not speaking the truth. Let, let him go down the Fox and OANN and Daily Caller news hole. Speak to his people. Fine. I mean, we can't, at this point, we, we can't stop that. You know, those media outlets exist, whatever. So the only way you get rid of them is you don't pay attention to them or, you, or let them cover the nonsense by themselves. If the New York Times and Washington Post and CNN and NBC and CBS and ABC are not paying attention to the idiot in the White House who doesn't know what he's doing. You know, they don't pay attention constantly to him and give him press constantly. Then it doesn't it doesn't hold. I mean, he does this to get the publicity and to drum up a whole lot of public interest. So you you know you you have you ha they have to be more disciplined in how they cover something that mm -hmm. is clear what's going on i mean stop covering lindsey graham he 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 is just making shit up so that he can try to 
delegitimize the, the vote. And they know that. I mean, the press knows that. So instead of writing the headline that says Lindsey Graham is, you know, is trying to undo the election, ignore him. <laughs> Just, okay, so because he so, has no proof. I mean, you do it the first time, but when it's or or cover it as the fraud that it is. I mean, oh. which they have a little, but you know, cover it as as you know, Lindsey Graham's attempt to undo the election is fraudulent. Yeah. Violates the you know the federal election code. He should be investigated. I mean that's so I, I see your point. Yeah. I mean it's because I because I'm sitting there thinking that is a story to me. It's also a story to me that Trump is trying to interfere in the Michigan uh, Republicans. So I mean so, that but, that's but, a story. I'm not saying you ignore you okay. you you have to talk about what Trump's you know the illegal acts he's doing. Gotcha. But you do not have to cover every tweet when he says you know I won. When he says, um, you know, over and over, when he tries to say something about the vote in Atlanta or the vote in Georgia, right. I mean, the, the vote right. in Arizona, in, in, the vote in any black uh, dominated area, yeah. right? Which yeah. clearly, yeah. So yeah. Cl- obvious, it's it's so obvious that only the places he lost could there have been fraud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Trump, he doesn't he doesn't care, and what's unfortunate right. is the media at large keeps caring about him more than they care about the the bigger picture here, which is, you know, you, you need to cover what the president does in the context of what's important, okay. right? So just constantly following him and saying whatever he's tweeting doesn't, doesn't tell the story. Why is he tweeting hmm. constantly? things about the election because he's trying to undo the faith in the election or at least faith in government. And even if he knows the end game is that he's leaving office, um, which it's not clear that he really thinks that, but um, he's doing everything he can to undermine the presidency for Joe Biden and the Democrats for the next four years, because that's also part of I'm sure that's part of Mitch McConnell's long game. And the media has cannot always be caught up in the moment. They have to look beyond that. And I know that they can. I mean, these are smart people working at these places. Part of it is, I mean, is the immediacy of of everything from Twitter to Facebook to the fact that you can post stuff you know, Washington Post has essentially a blog running, you know, and so I mean, that that's part of the problem, right? Is that is that you can have incredibly smart people who are under pressure to still be reporting things on a fairly continuous basis, who don't, you know, as opposed to when they had they had to get to press time, they had time to actually think about what what was important that goes into that story that before the the paper goes to bed, and is going to be actually printed on paper, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, I mean, even it's, it's literally, Twitter is the biggest problem because yeah. the stories are often well done. You know, if you're right, if you're right, right, about right, the, the right. mainstream papers, the headlines are often slightly misleading and the tweets yes. can often be terrible. Um, they, they got a little better. I mean, they really, that week after the election, and we talked about this last time, they, they were good about saying Trump falsely claims he won, mm-hmm. you know, like they at least had that, but this now doing tweeting about all of his tweets talking about everything he's doing in kind of a play by play rather than looking at it from the big picture he's trying to undo the election he's doing it 
illegally or unethically in every case. He has zero proof. Instead of doing a story that Trump claims the vote was fraudulent in Arizona. You know, it should say Trump has no proof in latest bid to undo Arizona's election. Right, you know, right, <laughs> you right. have to, it's partly the way you frame it. And you have to be, you have to just be incessantly putting out the truth like that mm. to just fight with the conspiracy theories and the lies that come from the, the alt-right. And I, Fox News is right up there. <laughs> right. Um, Although the news division seems to be. Um... Yeah. They, and they technically they've always been better. It's just they yeah. are there's they're such a small part, honestly, of the whole Fox News empire. Yeah. Because what people mostly pay attention to, and this goes for CNN too, to be honest, right. or you know, any right. cable news. Right. They, they'll have the news segment for half an hour. The rest of the day are talk shows. I mean, so it's right. it's essentially like right. having half a page of news in a newspaper and the rest of the paper being op-ed. I, I feel like I'm 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 goddamn Charlie Brown uh, holding the or uh, trying to kick the football and, and Lucy, you know, I keep I keep hoping that there's some sanity on the right and um there'll be revisionist republicans when this just you know goes to hell in a handbasket for real that right. would be like you know man, Trump was a disaster. Like, right. you know, right. <laughs> the people right. who enabled him were the disaster. Right. Yeah. Or they were, yeah. he was a disaster, but the people who enabled him are responsible, really. It's time for a state sale, a podcast on American democracy, because America is better than this.